0: Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, the 10th of March, 2023. It was on this day in 1848 that the Mexican-American War came to an end, when the Senate ratified the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. It was on this day in 1876 that the words, Mr. Watson, come here, I want you, became the first words broadcast over a telephone that Alexander Graham Bell conducted the first telephone call. It was on this day in 1965 that Neil Simons' play The Odd Couple opened on Broadway starring Walter Matthau and Art Carney. It would go on to be a movie with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon a few years later. And it was on this day in 1969 that James Earl Ray pleaded guilty to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. It's also today the feast day of St. Dominic Savio, a relatively well-known saint, especially among the youth, and an example of holiness among the youth, that one can be strong in one's faith, even with one's peers. And he was a protege, one of the students of St. John Bosco, had plans for his life as a priest, but unfortunately his life was cut short at an early age at age 14. Here in the United States, the Catholic Church is undergoing, over the next couple of years, what they refer to as a Eucharistic Revival, and I want to talk about that for the next uh, few minutes for this podcast. Some of you may have heard it, some of you may have not, and that unfortunately is an issue with the Church in the United States these days, where a lot of times we do have these special events or special periods or times, and very little is known of it in the in the pews by the average parishioner, and here I am a priest, and i learned about it pretty much midway through the first year. It's divided over three years. The first year uh, was supposed to have parish events. The second year, it's diocesan-wide events. And the third year has, at its climax, a pilgrimage to Indianapolis, where there will be a large celebration of the Eucharist by people who travel in pilgrimage. I believe the Eucharist will also be traveling Uh, by foot in a journey from multiple locations to meet and converge in the city of Indianapolis, Indiana, midway through 2024. I have to admit, of course, being a priest, I am very much for the Eucharist. I'm very much for the celebration of the Eucharist. Uh, In light of many people nowadays who want to revive the Latin Mass, I'm one who believes rather strongly in the current rite that I celebrate, the Novus Ordo rite. I want to make the Novus Ordo worship again, is what I often say, and I take it very seriously and do my best to lead the people in worship. And in previous podcasts, you've heard me speak of the uh, multiplicity of ways in which the sacrament of the Eucharist is celebrated in the Church today and throughout the Church's history, roughly 29 different ways to celebrate the Eucharist, not just the traditional Latin Mass and the not-traditional Latin Mass, the Novus Ordo. But there are a number of them, and in previous podcasts I have spoken of them. So it's truly a Catholic tradition we have in the multiple ways in which we celebrate the Eucharist, and the rite in which I celebrate is the Novus Ordo rite, in which we very much act in persona Christi. Christ leads the community through the priest, preaches to the community through the priest. He prays with the community and is, of course, the center of that worship in the Eucharist as we direct all our worship through Christ and the Holy Spirit to God the Father. With this Eucharistic revival, many have said it comes as a response to a Pew Research, a poll, that found that only one third of Catholics believe in the real presence of the Eucharist, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist of His body and blood, in that sacrament. And I have to admit, I've heard that spoken of before, and to be honest. That is the first step for me to have some misgivings with regard to the revival. While I do acknowledge that there are those who perhaps are unaware or it was never adequately taught, I don't believe the number is that low. I think there are more people than we realize in the Catholic Church who do believe in the true presence of Christ and therein lies the crux of the problem. It depends on what words they have used. You ask someone, do you believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? They might say yes, or they might say no. I believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. And depending on how this poll had been conducted, people answered accordingly. I knew someone who always referred to it as the par excellence. The presence par excellence is in the Eucharist. And that, of course, is a technical term, but you might ask them, do you believe in the real presence of the Eucharist? of Jesus in the Eucharist, and they'll say, no, I believe in the presence par excellence. And so there's another person who said, no, they don't believe in the real presence. I believe the majority of Catholics believe, know, and understand that Jesus is truly present in his body and blood in the Eucharistic sacrament of the altar. What I think, however, is a majority of those Catholics, whether they believe or not, and especially if they do believe, because really this, this point really only applies to those who do believe, a majority of them really fail to appreciate that fact. They fail to appreciate that fact, that Jesus is present. They know he is, they understand he is, they believe he is. They will even say they believe he is. But I think what we see in the church is not a lack of faith in the real presence, but a lack of appreciation of the real presence. Otherwise, why do you see so many people not showing up for mass? They're perfectly Catholic. They just don't practice as much. They believe in the presence of the Eucharist, but it just isn't important to them, or at least not as important as other things that they prioritize. Then you look at the people who actually go to mass. How many of them sit in the back of the church? How many of churches have the majority of their people congregating in the back of the church? One might say they don't believe it. I'm not going to question what's in their souls or what's in their thoughts and the caliber of their faith, but they're obviously there because they want to receive the Eucharist and worship God, or at least, at the very least, fulfill an obligation. But they sit as far away from the altar as they can because they fail to appreciate that real presence in the Eucharist. And it is truly something to see when a family sits in the front. Just the other day I had a family here in the parish I'm currently assigned and which I have currently recently moved to as temporary administrator. For daily Mass, many of the school children are encouraged to go to daily Mass, some with their families. And this is a family with small children, a daughter in perhaps first or second grade with two young sons. And they were in the front row and behaving very well. They were attentive. They were not disruptive. They were not fidgety. And it was quite something to behold. Meanwhile, most of the rest of the congregation were focused toward the back of the church. If this were a boat, the bow would be sticking up out of the water because everyone would be in the stern. How many people find it more important to them to sit in the spot in that church that they have always sat in since the first stone of their church was brought over on the Mayflower than it is to sit as close as you can to this sacrament of the Eucharist. They're not going to deny, in fact, they say amen when they come forward to celebrate and receive the Eucharist in communion. But they sit in the back. Or at the very least, will not sit in the front. And that, I think, is reflective, not so much that the people don't believe in the real presence, but that they don't fully appreciate it. If they did, and really saw the importance of that, They wouldn't miss Mass like they do. They wouldn't sit in the back of the church like they do. They wouldn't dress like they do. I've always said to people, if you come home from church and don't change your clothes, you're not dressed appropriately for church. But we see how people dress, how some people, when they exercise extraordinary ministry, whether of the Eucharist or as readers and lectors, fail to dress as if this is something important. They're there. They participate. But you don't see a real appreciation for the Eucharist. And I think that is what needs to be in focus here. Not some poll that could have been skewed or misinterpreted by people that says, I think inaccurately, that two-thirds of Catholics do not believe in the real presence. All that really serves is to... Uh, Provoke a gasp, you know, (gasps) that many people don't believe in the real presence. Yes. It's two thirds. Only one third of Catholics believe in the real presence. (gasps) Oh no. What are we going to do? It's meant to give a reaction because I've been hearing that for well over a decade. I don't think it's that low. What I do think is low is the true appreciation for that. And one way to revive that is to not show up so cavalierly late and leave so early. Many people, once they go to communion, they leave the church. They don't remain to finish the worship and to socialize with the community afterwards. To get your kids to dress properly, to teach them to behave properly. I always like to remind parents parenthood is not a contemplative vocation. Just last Sunday, my first Sunday in my new parish, I spoke about the transfiguration as an experience of prayer. These three apostles went with Jesus up the mountain to pray with Jesus as Jesus does, often by himself, and they had that terrifying, overwhelming experience of the presence of God. And I said that is an example of prayer, which we're called to grow in during Lent. And I spoke of the different levels of prayer as talked about in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Verbal prayer, meditation, and contemplation. And when I finished the portion of my homily on meditation, I acknowledged it is easier said than done in families with small children. And as I'm saying this, there's a family who have three small children, two of which were having a hard time sitting still. And of course, I didn't chide them. I didn't embarrass them. You heard the screaming. And so the congregation kind of chuckled when I said that. Yes, it is hard. Meditation is only as deep as the loudest screaming child. Worship is only as deep as the loudest screaming child. But during the Eucharistic prayer, during the consecration, as I held up the host and the cup, I happened to glance over at that family and... And mom and dad were in deep prayer during the Eucharistic prayer. Good for them. Okay, great. They're in a mood of prayer. However, their children were fidgeting behind them on the pew, distracting everyone behind them. Parents have a job to do to teach their children. Bring them to Mass, but stand them on the kneeler. Whisper in their ear. Talk them through the Eucharistic prayer. If your church uses bells, tell their children. Listen for the bell. When you hear the bell, Jesus is there. Say a little prayer, saying, hi, Jesus. Welcome, Jesus. Of course, that's not the best theology, but we're talking about kids here. And while the parents may appreciate the real presence, they're in their deep prayer, no one else can be in their deep prayer Because the kids are not being controlled and taught by the parents. So if we really believe in the real presence, we need to teach that to our children, not by hammering it into their heads, constantly reminding them, but by our actions. We can't be late for Mass. We need to dress more properly. We need to dress as if we're going into God's presence. How well would we dress if we entered the presence of the Pope? Why don't we dress that way when we go to Mass, entering the presence of God? Why do we show up late? No, we can't leave yet. Mass isn't over. We've just had communion. Let's come early and say a prayer quietly before Mass begins. Let's learn to behave. That's one way we can see a Eucharistic revival. Another way in in which we can see this is for priests to be renewed in how they celebrate the Mass. I think one thing that's driving people to the Latin Mass is not the solemnity of the Latin Mass, but the lack of solemnity in the Novus Ordo by some priests. It's not rite that's not solemn. It's the way some priests celebrate it, treating the mass like their own dog and pony show, treating the homily as if it's their own comedy routine. They don't catechize, they don't preach, they don't teach, they barely talk about the scriptures. I've even met some priests here in San Francisco whose homily pretty much consists each week of God loves you, nothing is ever your fault, you never do anything wrong, and how about those 49ers? What do you know? They like it. And then when someone comes in and gives a little meat to the to the passage, to the teaching, to the preaching. They don't like it because we've gotten to the point where the last thing some people want to do when they come to the Mass is think. So they check their brains in at one door and their emotional maturity at the other door because they don't want to think when they come to Mass and everything offends them. And this is what has led to the downplay of the importance of the Eucharist and the need for the Church in the United States to have a Eucharistic revival. But when you look at some of the most basic things that can be done in the context of a parish, by the leadership in that parish, it's for that reason that I'm really skeptical about not just the need, because there is a need, but the usefulness of a Eucharistic revival as they are conducting it. First of all, the lack of advertisement. They put it out there, and maybe priests know about it, maybe they don't, maybe the people know about it, maybe they don't. They have a year of diocesan events in which they have events of Eucharistic Adoration In my diocese there will be a Eucharistic Congress in early June There's going to be that big convention in Indianapolis It is not my impression nor does my expectation that people in general will go to these things And those that do will be people who are already dedicated to the Eucharist and devoted to the Eucharist They already take it seriously is not going to draw anyone new or anyone who has fallen away or anyone who needs to grow in appreciation of the real presence of the Eucharist. First of all, I wish they had chosen a different way of referring to it than Eucharistic revival. I hate to say it, but the tradition in the United States of revivals connotes Midwestern biblical revivals. The tent churches in small towns The movie Elmer Gantry starring Burt Lancaster and Gene Simmons. Burt Lancaster getting up there with his Bible, talking about baseball and saying, I'm going to hit a home run for, for Jesus. I hear the word revival, and suddenly when they say we have a Eucharistic revival, I can't take that seriously. Because this isn't a revival. This isn't a fundamentalist revival. It's not a biblical revival. It's not a revival. Let it be a renewal. Let it be a renewal, a Eucharistic renewal. Maybe it's a little late to change the term for it. But a Eucharistic renewal is what is needed, not a Eucharistic revival. Second, we need to consider how we're putting these things together. Don't aim for a national conference in Indianapolis. I really don't think that many people are going to go. I'll be impressed if they do. But how many people are going to pay money to take a plane to fly to Indianapolis for a Eucharistic revival when they could go to Mass at home, At their own parishes. This needs to happen I think more on the grassroots and then maybe over a period of years have something on the diocesan level but a national event in one city in the Midwest I'm not exactly sure I hope it's successful I do hope it's successful but I'm not exactly sure that the process of this revival is going to be successful. And another reason for my skepticism is because as a church, we have had previous years dedicated to different things that have fallen flat, virtually all of them. And I have more than likely spoken of them in past podcasts, but I'll review it again now. In the late 90s, Pope John Paul II declared a Marian year. All well and good. Mary's an important figure, the mother of God the prototype of Christian discipleship, the perfect example of Christian discipleship. As such, she is a symbol of the church. So it could have been a good year of ecclesiology, learning about the church and our role as followers of Christ. It could have been a good year in which we preached about what it means to be a disciple, as Mary was the perfect disciple. Instead, it got sabotaged by the devotionalists and became a year of the rosary. Not that I'm against the rosary, But this was a Marian year, and she means so much more to the church than simply the rosary. But it was a lost opportunity to really help people grow in their awareness, knowledge, understanding, and appreciation of the church and their presence in it as believers. A couple of years later, John Paul II declared a year of the Eucharist. Again, could have been a good year in which we preached the liturgy, the worship, the worship life of the church at the heart of which is the Eucharist. Instead, again, it was taken over by the devotionalists, and it became a year of Eucharistic adoration. Again, I am not against Eucharistic adoration. I like conducting it. I like it when a parish has adoration and when we have regular benediction. But that is not what the Eucharist is about completely. The Eucharist comes in the consecration at the Mass. A few years later, we had a year of St. Paul. Here in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, we had pilgrimage sites to parishes named for St. Saint Paul, St. Peter and Paul, Parish of St. Paul, St. Paul of the Shipwreck, as well as the two mission churches of the California missions in the Archdiocese, San Rafael and Mission Dolores. And with these parish pilgrimages, there would be moments of prayer and a plenary indulgence offered, provided, of course, after the pilgrimage, they received communion, after which, before which they went to Confession. So the sacraments are involved in that. Aside from that, nothing was really provided in terms of resources. And we're talking about the first real theologian of the church. How much of the New Testament is written through the lens of his theology? His conversion was perhaps one of the most important moments in the history of Christianity. So what I did during that year is I preached the second reading in my homily whenever it came up at mass, whenever it was from the writings of Paul. It was the year of Paul. Paul wrote the second reading, as is the case most of the time, then I preached the second reading as opposed to the gospel. If the gospel worked in, yeah, I brought brought the gospel in, but my primary focus on preaching was the letters of Paul as they came into the readings on Sunday Mass. It was the year of Paul, and that's how I observed it, but not really much was provided by the diocese, and in fact, I remember calling my diocese and saying, do you have any resources for the year of St. Paul? And they said, the year of what? Even though there were plans for these pilgrimage sites that were conducted and planned by the diocese, there were people within the diocese who had no clue what I was talking about. A couple of years later was the year of the priest. I preached the priesthood. I brought it up as I could on the, in the homily, but really not much was done except appreciation. It was like priest appreciation year. But did we see a rise in vocations? Did we talk about the ministry of priesthood? Did we talk about the sacrament of holy orders? Teach the people. Encourage them to encourage vocations among their own families, among their own sons. No, we appreciated our priests, and I appreciated the appreciation, and I preached it on occasion when it uh, was able to be brought into the homily, but again, not much was really done in terms of vocations and teaching and catechizing to the people about holy orders, a sacrament, and the life and ministry of a priest. Fast forward a couple of years later, we had the year of mercy. Well, it's all well and good, but did we in our parishes, starting with our priests, take advantage of the year of mercy to be a renewal or a revival of the sacrament of confession? Did we preach confession? Did we make it more available? Did we encourage people to return to the sacrament of confession? Did we encourage people to... Consider who they might need to forgive and show mercy to. Or perhaps, more difficult, is there anyone we, you, I, need to ask forgiveness from? Were we renewed in the spiritual and corporal works of mercy? Or did we simply wallow in how merciful God is and walk through a silly holy door in some parishes? The last two I saw quite a bit of, but most parishes will say, no, we didn't. People didn't return to confession. We didn't hear homilies about confession or forgiveness. And then, of course, a couple of years before the year of mercy was the year dedicated to the consecrated life. How many even remember we had a year dedicated to the consecrated life? That year came and went with virtually nothing going on. And like the priesthood, we needed an increase in vocations to the religious life and the consecrated life. Did we make Information available to people. Did we have vocation directors from various religious communities come and preach and talk to the people of the parish about their lives, their charism, their calling, their order, their community? Nothing was done that year. So we've had these past years that have been dedicated and declared as special years for the church, and they have all, without exception, fallen flat. I'm hoping that's not the case in the Eucharistic revival but if there's one way I think we can make it a success, is not focus on the negative. Two-thirds of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. I frankly don't believe that for a minute. There may be some who don't, but I think the vast majority of Catholics do believe it, but the problem is they don't appreciate it. So how do we make them appreciate it? Well, we have to do that on the grassroots level. Every year on the first Sunday of Advent, as a New Year's liturgical resolution, I suggest that people Think of someone they know who does not practice the faith, who does not go to Mass on Sunday, and invite them and bring them in this year. Resolve this year, I'll bring one person back to the practice of the faith. That will double our congregations every year. Bringing people to the Eucharist. I would challenge priests. You know what I mean when I say, do the red, say the black. Instructions of actions are done in red in the Roman Missal, and the words we pray are said in, are done in black, are printed in black. Do what's in front of you. Embellish in the homily, but preach the gospel. Celebrate the mass as if that this is something serious, not your own personal dog and pony show, not something we need to have kids gathering around the altar because we want to up the level of cute. But what can we do to emphasize the fact that what we are doing is important? We're worshiping God and celebrating the Eucharist. Encourage your people, don't be afraid of them, but encourage them to stop showing up late and leaving early. Teach your children to behave or leave them at home. If they're not old enough to come to Mass, they're not obliged to come. But when you bring them, it is possible to teach your children to behave so that everyone there can worship and celebrate the Eucharist rather than be distracted by children of parents who don't know how to... Teach their children to behave. To teach them that this is something important. To remind them Jesus is there. Dress properly. Don't come in shorts and tank tops and flip flops or pedal pushers or jeans if you can help it. I know there are some nice jeans. I knew a family in one parish, uh, older sons, but everybody, dad and the two boys, came in coat and tie. Mom came dressed appropriately, of course. I knew a family in Southern California, five boys, one set of twins, one girl in the middle, five children, one girl in the middle, two older boys and a younger set of twins. Every week without fail, they're at mass. They're at mass early. They stay until mass is over. And every last one of those boys, including their dad, dress in a suit and tie. Even the young ones, once they were old enough to come to mass, they came in a suit and tie. Even the twins, as they got older, when father would say, the Lord be with you, and they'd say, and with your spirit, and then one would turn and say, I said it first. I said it before you did. Parents had a good sense of competition. Who can behave the best at mass? A great witness to every other family. They sat along the side, but they sat close to the front. These are ways in which we can have a Eucharistic renewal, not a revival, a renewal in the parishes. And let's build up the appreciation for the real presence of the Eucharist. Then when we've built that up in the parishes, then and only then do we have diocesan-wide activities. Because then we'll have new people renewed in the importance of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. We'll have new people coming to these events, not just those who already have a devotion to the Eucharist. And as this is Lent, perhaps one good way to encourage people as part of this Eucharistic renewal... At the end of Lent, we have a celebration called Holy Thursday, three days before Easter. Part of the Easter Triduum is the Mass of the Lord's Supper, in which we celebrate not only the memory of the Last Supper, but the celebration of the first Eucharist ever celebrated. It, in many ways, is the anniversary of the institution of the Holy Eucharist itself, and the commission of the apostles, and through them, the priests who celebrate this Eucharist and consecrate the bread and wine to become the Body and Blood of Christ. Encourage your congregations to worship on Holy Thursday. It's not a holy day of obligation. Maybe de-emphasize the washing of the feet at that Mass and emphasize the procession of the Eucharist out of the tabernacle at the end of Mass and to an altar of repose and encourage people to spend time in prayer, maybe the entire time before the the Eucharist is put away until Holy, uh, until, uh, holy Saturday Easter Vigil. But when we think of Holy Thursday, we bend over backwards. Who are we going to get to volunteer to have their feet washed? But do we really emphasize the anniversary of the institution of the Eucharist and the institution of the priesthood that celebrates that Eucharist? Instead of encouraging your congregation to go and attend congresses of the Eucharist and conferences and special nights of adoration, which will come hopefully later, Let's get them back to Mass, starting with this Easter, starting with Holy Thursday. Heaven forbid. And let's build this up in our parishes before we try and have big gatherings in Indianapolis or any other city for that matter. Because my worry is that you won't see that many people going. And those that do will already have a devotion to the Eucharist. If there's anyone who's newly devoted to it, there will be very few in number. But it will be people who are already going to be making a public show of the fact that they believe in the real presence and they appreciate it and they love the Eucharist and they love the Mass. Start on the parish level. Don't let this, like the other special years that were declared, be sabotaged by devotionalists. This is not a year of adoration. This is not an adoration renewal. It's a Eucharistic renewal, and the Eucharist is celebrated in the Mass. This is not a revival of the Latin Mass because the Latin Mass is just one of 29 different ways in which the Eucharist is celebrated in the Catholic Church, even here in the United States. Let this be a renewal of the Eucharist, whatever your rite happens to be. Whether it's Novus Ordo, traditional Latin, Anglican Catholic, Ambrosian, or whether it's any of the Many, numerous Eastern Rite Catholic celebrations of the Mass, Coptic, Maronite, Byzantine, Croatian, Ukrainian, etc., etc. Let this be a Eucharistic renewal, not a renewal of adoration or a renewal of Latin Mass. Let it be a renewal, not a revival. We're not fundamentalist Protestants gathering in a tent in the Midwestern small town. And let's give the Catholic people a little bit of credit. More of them than we realize believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. But I would say the majority of them fail to appreciate it, which is why we see our empty churches, why we see people not dress properly, why we see them arrive late and leave early, and in some cases not even go to Mass at all. So those are my thoughts on this Eucharistic renewal. And I do hope it is a success. I do hope people get into it but I especially hope they get into it on the parish level. So talk to your priests about a night of adoration. Talk to your priests about how we can advertise and encourage more people to attend Holy Thursday Mass. But especially, let's not underestimate the people's faith, but let's see if we can renew them in their appreciation of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and then we will see the kind of renewal that will lead to a revival of the Catholic Church in this country. So those are my thoughts on the subject at hand. Give it some thought. Look into your parishes and your diocese for the events for the Eucharistic renewal, and uh, hopefully with all of our efforts, but especially in the parish and especially in the home among families, we will truly see a success of this Eucharistic renewal. So thank you for listening, and with any luck, I will talk to you again soon.